You plan to kill them? And all here accede to this? Your father is correct, Your Grace. A living challenger invites battle and bloodshed. It is unsavory, yes. But a sacrifice we must make to secure Aegon's succession. And then there is Daemon to consider. The king wouldn't wish for any but unsavory... But the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter! He loved her, I will not have you deny this. And yet... One more word and I will have you removed from this chamber and sent to the wall. <laughs> I think it was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. Seven blessings to you and welcome back to the All Bangers podcast. I think them all bangers, them all the time that I think that are thing. What's up? It's Vizzy. Here to cover episode 9 of them HBO Game of Thrones House of the Dragon. And boy, do we have a divisive episode on our hands today. Look, I came into this analysis like really digging this episode. Borderline loved it actually. But as I got like halfway through the episode, I was like, okay, like I don't really have much to say about what's going on here, especially like mid-episode. And that's why when I was like, okay, this this writing just doesn't make sense. Sarah Hess writing, bet doesn't make sense. And yeah, this episode on rewatch just it just wasn't the ting, bruv. It was not the ting. And I know people who hate this episode. And uh, I'm gonna touch on why that is for them. And I will be fair and I will acknowledge some of their points. But if you follow me on Instagram at Visualize Cinema, you probably saw the other day that people were in the comment section on my episode nine post on the feed and they had one complaint. And for that one complaint, I had about 20, 30 different rebuttals based in logic as to why that complaint is really not a big deal. And I'm going to touch on those. I'm going to touch on like maybe like five to 10 of those because it's just it's just ex exhausting at this point, like re-explaining myself to people as to why that final scene actually does work. Um, some logistics aside, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit as well, but you know, sometimes I, sometimes I really, I really don't understand how people can't think beyond a single scene. And again, logistics aside, you complaining about not having enough dragons in, in, in season, in the season. And then you get a pretty spectacular scene with a dragon and you complain that it didn't Dracarys, the, the, the entire side of the antagonist. I mean, okay, but. We'll talk about that, and I'll take you guys to school, but not without acknowledging something pretty stupid that Sarah Hess, the writer, said about that moment. So, look, I'm going to meet you halfway on this and, and be fair so people don't say I just completely suck this show off every, every week. Look, if, if, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I have my gripes with certain aspects of the show and some aspects of the show that I just flat-out dislike. One of them being Missaria, which I will be reading her lines in all their glory later on this episode. But again, I will be fair and I will acknowledge what is being said. And some some of it I agree with. Uh, actually, you know what? The, the the problem that I have this episode isn't the end. It's actually the middle. It's the middle. And, and, and I'll explain why when I get there. But I also want you guys to be open to what I have to say about 
uh, the end of the episode because I have a I have a lot to say about it. But you know, it, it, it's easy to sit there and say, "Oh, pff, that's just all spectacle. That's lazy." And of course, of course, you know, we have Sarah Hess in the after the episode saying, "Yo, you know, what would be awesome man. If we just had babies just and, and rain just come up from." A- under the ground like awesome like, like i have a problem with that and i'll talk about that too and i i've addressed it on instagram but yeah that that type of ideation process and thinking is the exact same process that led david and dan to be like yo like you know for the longest time we wanted a uh, a, a polar you know a, a polar bear in and uh, above beyond the wall that was a uh, that was like a white like a white walker polar bear like that type of and, and, and that was what we got from like season six onwards. Granted, there were some awesome moments in season six and even in season season seven. But yeah, the, the writing, that's just how David and Dan operated. And then you can just see clearly the gears turning in Sarah Cass's head. It's like, okay, oh, fuck, we have another D&D on our hands. But luckily, she's only written two episodes. Actually, the two episodes she's written are the, I, I don't know, I mean, this last one, last time I saw it was like 9.0 on imdb but on other sites they're actually the weakest episodes that have been rated and yeah i wonder why um but yeah i mean with regards to the end people that are complaining about it on a surface level just they, they can't see the subtext and they don't want to mind for it they're, they're just lazy to understand or, or to even seek out the subtext and that's what makes abp the number one podcast in the room in fact we're actually ranked number three on spotify right now for a game of thrones podcast so Fucking, you guys are amazing, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, so um, ABP, like we look for the subtext, we mine for the subtext, we ask questions, we get inside the characters' heads, and we envelop ourselves in the story. And human judgment is fallible, right? It's not zeros and ones. It's complex, and that's what our characters are. So for every service-level complaint based on emotion from a non-book reader, I approach it from a calm, rational perspective of a book reader. Who knows what happens next? And I can explain all why all of this happens at the end of this episode. And look, the people that are complaining about this, mark my words next week, are going to be the same ones in my DM saying, holy shit, that episode was amazing. I've seen it happen over and over and over again where somebody will DM me and then I'll just scroll up in the messages and two months ago they were shitting on something that they now praise. It's it's funny, man. People are funny. People are funny. People are just unaware of, of how they act sometimes. But the themes remain strong in this episode. I think the changes from the books really enrich the story. And, uh, you know, these are GRM, George R. R. Martin-approved changes as he works closely with Ryan as a consultant and, and executive producer. There are some things they change up from the book that I will bring up, but I think what they did works better from a show perspective. And in terms of adaption, yeah, this is... I mean, I went into... I saw I watched the episode and I was like, okay, this is like a like a nine out of ten. And then like on the rewatch, analyzing and breaking down scene by scene, I was like, okay, this is I don't really have much to say. It's probably like more like a seven out of ten for me. Um, it might be the weakest episode, especially in that middle. It just it just meanders and lingers in the middle. But uh I actually went into this episode expecting to dislike it. Like I half expected it to be I have expected it to be like in the small council all episode, like 12 Angry Man style. I actually think that would have been pretty dope, actually. But since I knew this episode was going to be so hyper-focused on the greens, I thought it would be probably, I, I thought it would probably be the weakest episode, even though it is episode nine in Thrones, you know, but 
I mean, okay, let me touch on that real quick. So, so yeah, the whole week it was like, oh shit, like episode nine, Game of Thrones, you know, crazy shit goes down during, during E9s. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, Game of Thrones basically invented the penultimate shock episode. So people have come to expect that every season. They circle E9 on their calendars. But I kept telling people all week, I was like, I mean, you probably heard it on, on, on the last podcast episode. I was like, it, it's going to be E10. It's not going to be E9 this season. So I think I think the expectation that Thrones have, has set for themselves is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you set the bar pretty high, but I think it's also I, it's also led to some type of like letdown for this episode in particular for some some casual viewers. It's a blessing and a curse. But the great thing is, you know, look, you have episodes on both sides of episode nine to deliver that shock factor. You know, we've seen it done in eight and we've seen it done in 10 before. So so next week, look, it's what we've been building towards all season with the time jumps and, you know, building up our character arcs. We'll be down in Storm's End for what I've heard was like the final 15 minutes of the episode and nobody's got screeners. Like I don't have screeners. HBO doesn't even know who I am, man. People think I shill for HBO because I talk about their series and I don't really talk about HBO. I mean, I don't talk about Netflix, Hulu, or, you know, Disney plus or Amazon all that much. Uh, so, but that there's a reason because of that, like I only back winning horses and I know HBO swings for the fences every time and they might hit, you know, they might go like eight out of 10 on bangers. Whereas like with Netflix, they, you know, it's quantity over quality for them. But with HBO, you always know you're going to get HBO quality production. Even if the story isn't necessarily there, it's, it's still worth at least checking out. And if it does slap, it's always going to get recommended for me. But up to up until this week, um, big YouTubers and like YouTubers in the Game of Thrones community, they all got screeners. I I don't get screeners. again. HBO doesn't know who the fuck I am. Um, they should, by the way. But for that for their this uh, upcoming episode is the only episode that we nobody will have screeners screeners for so everybody at the same time will be watching it live as it unfolds sunday night and i think that's a beautiful thing but this episode yeah it's currently sitting on 9.0 on imdb with like 23,000 votes it's like the it's actually like the third highest rated episode so far the season which is interesting and yeah like again there were parts that were okay to me and then there were parts that i thought were fantastic like especially the opening i thought it was sick but then, yeah, like we'll, we'll talk about it. Then I, then I realized a few things, but let's get into it. House of the Dragon, season one, episode nine, titled The Green Council, written by the infamous, now public enemy number one, Sarah Hess, directed by Claire Kilner. Love Claire. Um, here's the description. While Allison enlists Cole and Aemon to track down Aegon, Otto gathers the great houses of Westeros to affirm their allegiance. So we open inside the Red Keep. The hour is late, probably like 3, 4 a.m. Sun's not up yet, right? But, you know, we get some great establishing shots here. The castle's empty. The grating is green. Remains uh, The score remains, like, arguably one of the best parts of this episode and the best parts of, like, the score in its entirety throughout the, the season. Like, this opening scene reminded me of The Light of the Seven with the piano theme, and I was watching IG Live, with Ramin where he was talking about how he both loves and dreads writing the, these big themes, overarching themes for the later episodes. But this one, I thought, I thought it, like it was in the extension of it played later on in the episode, that cross cutting with Otto telling Sir Eric to find Aegon when they played that part of the theme over that scene too. 
that's why I, I thought this theme was sick, man. Just like from start to finish. So I haven't even put it on my Spotify yet, but I'm going to. But we get a little boy. He he walks out of Viserys' chambers. This is one of Talia's little birds. Um, or, or it's probably Masaria's little birds, actually. And Talia's just like looking after him and like like uh, giving him instruction, guiding him in the castle. But this kid is basically responsible for changing Viserys' chamber pot during the night. And Talia most likely uses that as an excuse to check in on Viserys to get information for Mastaria and and Otto. But um you know it'd be it, it would be wild if uh if that kid like slipped some shit into Viserys' cup all these years. <laughs> Imagine that. But yeah, big big light of the seven vibes with the music. The kid tells Talia Alice in Summer One and she learns that the king is dead, right? Talia goes and wakes Allison up. Allison gets out of bed, says, tell no one, and we linger on Talia's face as she looks down, and uh, we get that shot because she's going to tell Masaria what's up, and, you know, we cut to Otto. There's a, there's a lot of, like, fast pace in this episode, actually, um, especially towards the middle of the episode. It's, it's, it's hard to cover, like, like episodes that, that cross-cut or cut really quick without, like, a lot of meat on the bone in terms of, like, what's going on in, in a scene. So, yeah, we cut to Otto, and, and Allison is in Otto's chambers now. Sun still isn't up. You know, it's, you know, it's wild. Like, Allison, she had a fucking day. Like, let's just chart her day real quick. Okay, 3 a.m., she's woken up in the middle of the night to learn her husband's dead. 4 a.m., learns, she learns that her father and the entire council, save for Lord Beesbury, and uh, Westerling, and probably Cole, too, but they've been plotting to stop Rhaenyra's succession and to put Aegon on the throne after Viserys dies anyways. 4.03 a.m., she watches Kristen Cole murder Lord Beesbury in front of her. 7 a.m., finds Aemon. She's chilling in Helena's room with her and the kids. Actually, you know what? Let me take that back. Aemon wasn't in her room at the time, but what I will say is there is something that happens during that scene that I guarantee you guys missed that I picked up on a rewatch, and it's fucking really interesting but yeah so i mean okay let me just like cut it right here like i i think that those children jaharis and jahara are Amon's kids and i feel like they pretty much say as much in that scene but yeah we'll, we'll talk about that later but um yeah where are we 7 a.m <laughs> okay 7.03 a.m she sends cole and Amon to go find Aegon and flea bottom 9 a.m has to watch her dead husband get wrapped up and she's like genuinely crying for him or trying to hold back crying. She's like, Oh my God, my makeup's already done. I can't cry. Like not even like late morning and midday. And this girl's already had a, a fucking day, but nobody, but Otto, Talia and some servants know. And Talia goes to the window to light the candles and to warn Masaria, right? Nobody's leaving the castle. Red keep is under full lockdown. So the only message she can get out is through the window of the castle We've seen this before back in Thrones with Brienne and Sansa at Winterfell. And uh, it's very Paul Revere as a Bostonian. I love this. Allison says, Viserys wished Aegon to be king with his dying breath. Otto leans back with a smirk. And like he's like, oh, shit. Like, perfect. Like we, we had our plans laid anyways. And now this is just like icing on the cake. So, yeah, this is going to come into play like 10 minutes later when they, when they hit the council. But this, he's going to use this to accelerate their plans. Again, like, 
I don't know how I feel about this, but I'm rolling with it. Like she, okay, Allison is being genuine here, but I still think she's delusional. And I mean, we'll see that in the next scene, right? I think she wants to believe she's doing good, doing right by Viserys. It's not despite Rhaenyra at all, right? Giving this news to Otto. It's not despite Rhaenyra. It's to honor her husband. Like, like this isn't a power grab for Allison. It's going to be a power grab for Otto, for Old Town, for the Citadel. Remember, Mace Conspiracy, right? The Faith don't like the, the Targaryens. They don't, they, don't, they don't like them Targaryens, man, right? There's still foreign invaders who use their dragons to overthrow Westeros. I mean, the Targaryens thought they were unifying the land under a single rule, right? But that just pissed some people off. Most notably, Old Town, because it was the biggest, most wealthiest city in Westeros before that. So yeah, they don't like the Targaryens. They don't like magic, right? To them, the dragons are weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, we see at the end of the episode, you know, Rhaenys gives the Greens and the small council, the the... The, sm the small folk and the maesters a reason to fucking hate the blacks. Actually, in particular, she gives a, a reason. She gives the small folk a reason to hate the blacks, and yeah, and they're gonna want to get rid of the dragons altogether. And team team green is gonna use this to their advantage. But we cut to the green council. We get this sick like fisheye lens shot of Jasper Wilde rolling the stone down to uh, Tywin Lannister. He's like, "Did Dorne invade us already?" It's like, bro, read the fucking room. It's like, why is it up? Why are we up so early? Did John invade us early? And yeah, the reason he says this, it's um, it's because a, a few episodes back, if you remember, where the dude over in Pento is hosting Damon and Lena, he's like, yeah, like the Triarchy has teamed up with Dorne to fight in the Stepstones. So that makes sense where, you know, Lannister comes in and he's like, <laughs> did Dorne invade us already? Is that where we're up so early? But uh, yeah, Otto says the king's dead, names him Viserys. What does he what does he name him? The Ser Viserys the the peaceful? Yeah, the peaceful. Says he was our friend. <laughs> Gives like a two second moment of silence, then basically so, says, okay, cool. Now, now we can move forward with killing his brother, his daughter, and his grandchildren. I thought that was funny. I was such a bitch. Dude just stands on ceremony, but that's pretty much every politician ever, right? He tells the council what Allison and Otto what Allison told Otto about Viserys' dying words, best to hear it from Otto, right? Instead of Alicent, since this is really Otto's counsel. Tywin Lannister goes, great, we can proceed with the blessing of his long-laid plans now. Like, he's, that's like, he's basically, okay, now that Viserys is verified, we scan that QR code, we're, we now have access to proceed and proceed with haste. And Otto's like, yes, yes, there is much to be done, as we previously discussed. He, he sits down real quick. He's like, let's get to this shit. So... What that tells me and that, that told us as the audience is Otto has been holding secret council meetings without Alicent. So that's interesting. So so yeah, like now now he says a few things here that are, are really important. First he mentions two guards of the City Watch who are loyal to Damon, find them and replace them, aka execute them and fill those positions. So these two guards that are loyal to Damon are gonna show up probably next episode, I'd imagine. Uh, it's not Eric, and it's uh, definitely not Arik. And then um, Tywin goes, yeah, the gold's the gold is being divided. Otto says, we'll send ravens to River Run, River Run, and and High Garden, and basically we're gonna buy their support and flood their vaults with so much gold they they'd be foolish to refuse us. 
and uh, what he doesn't say, and uh, actually, it, it comes up. It comes up later. But what he they were about to say, and yeah, Tywin brings it up in, in a few minutes. Um, is basically yeah, we got to send a raven to Storm's Storm's End later, and later on in the episode, we see Tywin like basically, uh, Tywin. We see Otto basically rolling up. <laughs> people thought he's rolling up a joint, uh, joint in the high tower, but. Yeah, he he's uh, writing a letter, and we specifically hold on him, uh, rolling up that that letter for the Raven. That one's probably most likely going to go to Storm's Storm's End, um, and it's probably because oh, it's not probably it is because they are going to uh, gain Storm's End support because they said it's a problem. So they're going to gain the support of Storm's End by wedding Aemond to one of uh, the Baratheon daughters. Because Storm's End, it's a strong military and fortified castle. And we're going there next week, so that's going to be sick. And as he's saying this, like, the only three people that aren't, like, in on this are Beesbury, Harold Westerling, and uh, and Allison. And and to, if Allison doesn't know, then Cole doesn't know, because Cole wouldn't, Cole wouldn't, like, not tell Allison that Otto is holding secret council meetings behind her back. So Otto, he's been holding these meetings without Beesbury, without Allison, Cole, and Westerling. And Allison's like, again, delusional. She's like, you've been plotting behind me? The queen's back? And I, I actually like this because it's it shows us factions within factions. Like, if everybody was in on the conspiracy and on the same side about how things have to go down, now that Viserys is gone, it'd be pretty boring. It'd be pretty bland. So having a different way of thinking and behaving within the factions of Team Green is what makes this all the more dramatic and exciting. But Beesbury goes off and, you know, I, he's like, I've, I've known Viserys longer than any of you. And, you know, then he's like, he, like Beesbury's like, I, I saw the king just yesterday. And, like, he presumes, like, okay, who poisoned him? He's like, if y'all are making a play right now, with the, with this speed, immediately after his death, who did it? That's basically what he's saying. And Beesbury, is a, he's a Damon guy, right? Back in episode one, he supported Damon to succeed Viserys. Remember when Otto was like, "You just, you, you just, uh, you know, claimed your support for Damon," like the way he says it like that. He was saying that to Beesbury, and Beesbury even in episode one was placing bets on Damon at the tourney. So Beesbury, I would probably bet is still a Damon and Rhaenyra supporter. And obviously he was he was homies with with Viserys for like all their lives, right? Poor Beesbear man. Doesn't realize he's got about 10 seconds left to live. Bitch made brute Kristen Cole screams and forces him down. So, you know, now that's two high lords. Kristen Cole was murdered in the Red Keep in front of witnesses and nobody's done a thing about it. But this happens differently in the books. It's alleged that Kristen Cole, like, I think it's alleged that Kristen Cole slit Beesbury's throat. Or I think the other, I forgot. It's been like three years since I read Fire and Blood. I think the other angle is he might have thrown him out a window or something. <laughs> I forget. But I, th I think it's actually slit his throat. But I think the other perspective is like, some say he, uh, I, I forget. I just totally forget. But here it's played off as an accident. And Allison's like, oh my God palm to face right like jesus christ i gave him a whole fucking talk last week i love that all through the season like every time beesbury talks 
he's always interrupted. And the first time, the first time this dude stands up and, and gets to finish what he wants to say, what's on his mind, he gets X'd. That's just, I feel like that's Game of Thrones comedy right there. Then we get our boy Harold Westerling. He unsheathes his sword. And this is when I sat up, right? The Tyland gets out of the way. I thought that was funny too. He's like, throw down your sword and remove your cloak, Sir Kristen. Harold's so cool, man. Kristen tries to hide behind the queen. He unsheathes his sword. Like, and, and, like Allison's like, bro, like, he didn't even insult me. Like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Just stop. Put your sword away. And I love Graham McTavish here. Like, I'm I'm happy, I'm happy they didn't off him. In the books, he's been dead for 20 years at this point. So, like, I didn't want to say that in, like, previous episodes. Because, like, he, he could have got X'd here. And I, that could have been, like, a slight spoiler for you guys. But, yeah, he's he, up to this point. It's been, like, 20 years. And he died, like, 20 years ago in the book. So, yeah, they do have plans for him. And he's probably off to Dragonstone now to be with Rhaenyra, as I said last episode. Uh, I called that last episode where I was like, okay, like, he's probably going to be Rhaenyra's sworn protector now to offset Cole being Allison's sworn protector. And he was previously Rhaenyra's sworn protector when she was a girl prior to Cole. But the body language of Harold is so calm, so cool, very embarrassed and sell me, right? Even now, I could cut through all of you like butter. Something is something like Barrison would say. I think he says that in um, in season one. It's like, I cut, I cut through you. I think he says... Even now, I can cut through the three of you like cake or something like that, or like bread. Yeah, Barrison's dope, but yeah, I love uh, I love our boy Sir Westerling too. Love that guy. And for a while, I was like, let's remove Beesberry. Otto's like, nah, bro. Doors stop. They stay shut until we finish our business. And yeah, this is when Tylen. Yeah, this is when Tylen like proposes the marriage to one of the Baratheon daughters of Storm's End. And uh, not before Allison cuts him off, and she's like, "What about Rhaenyra?" And this is where, <laughs> this is where Westling's like, "Fuck y'all, man!" Like, Otto says, "The former heir cannot be allowed to live, and given the opportunity to public, she he's going to give them public opportunity, or so he says, to swear fealty to the king. It's like a Ned Stark situation." But Allison knows. Like, she's like, you mean to murder them, actually. You know, that's what you're fucking telling me. Like, you're just, you're hiding behind that right now. And you mean to murder them. That's what you really intend to do. And he's like, she's like, the king didn't wish to have his daughter murdered. And I love how Olivia Cook just snaps at Jasper Wilde and says something. She's like, she's like, say something else. Say something else, you're off to the wall. I thought that, I thought that was like, if they played a clip at the Emmys, that would be her Emmy-worthy moment. And yeah, this this actually, to me, this part of the actually this I mean really this in, entire episode leading up to the 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 final parts it, it reminded me of a heist movie like the clock is ticking time is their greatest adversary like they have to lock shit down and agree on a plan before somebody slips out of the castle or sends a raven to Dragonstone informing Rhaenyra and, and Damon on what they're actually doing and they saddle up and fly back to the Red Keep in full force so yeah time is the biggest enemy right now so Otto Terrell tells Harold to go to Dragonstone and assassinate Damon and Rhaenyra and their entire family. It's like, be quick about it. Like, how, do, how does Otto think that any of this is going to be quick? Harold's like, fuck y'all. He removes his cloak and basically says, I only answer the king and I don't fucking see a king here. 
He's like, I am Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. I recognize no authority but the kings, and until there is one, I have no place here. So, yeah, this is a scene that, as book readers, we've been wanting to see for four years now, and I think they did a really good job. Uh, I wish it would have been longer, because I think this is actually the strongest part of the episode. And uh, the one thing that they did change outside of of what they kind of what i've already explained here is cole yeah outside of cole killing beesbury is the fact that laris isn't on the green council at this point in the book it said that he he was there on the green council and he proposed a blood pact between all of them like they slash their hands and they swear on it and uh, everybody except for Allison does that. So they they took that out in service of what they end up doing with them later in the episode and how they plan to use him moving forward, which, I mean, I'm not a fan of what they did with him. But we cut to Helena and the twins. And Helena, she's talking to a nurse, new servant. Remember last episode, um, our sweet, sweet Diana. She was either exed or sent away, probably. I, I mean, we don't see her this episode in the the black cells so maybe she got x man i mean there's a whole whole thing i sort of like debated with myself back and forth last episode but she's trying to build rapport with her new uh her new servant here and she says it is our it is our fate to crave always what is given to another if one possesses a thing the other will take it away the voiceover, like, it starts on Allison's face, right? So I think it's a double entendre in a way where it's, like, it's about Otto and Allison. You know, if one thing possesses another, the other will take it away. This is about Otto, Allison, and Aegon, but it also could be about Allison and Rhaenyra in a way. But the servant's like, yes, yes, princess. And Helena nods her head like, yes, that, that is right, right? Like, she's so aloof. Like, I love I love Helena. It's so sad. It's it's so sad. But she reminds me of Patchface in the books where Patchface is like, he, Patchface just drops knowledge in the books and nobody listens to him. And then later on, like what he actually says ends up coming true. And it's very much like, okay, like I should have listened to him. Like it's it, people just, people just ignore his wisdom and they just think he's like, he's like a dreamer. It's like, he's, he's full of shit. Like he's like Helena. But anyways, Helena is weaving a spider Lyris reference maybe. Allison comes in with Otto and asks where Aegon is. She's like, not here. And looks down. And Otto leaves to go grab Sir Eric. Allison stays. We get a shot of Jaharis and Jahara here. And uh Yeah, like, okay, so this is the part where when Allison when Otto leaves and Allison says father, it cuts over to the babies, and the babies are like babbling. And they clearly, one of the babies clearly says, Amond, Amond. So this is, this is like the show telling us that Amon is, could most likely be the father of those children. Like go back, watch the scene. The baby says Amond. And again, after he says Amond, what happens? Amon walks in, right? It's like 7 a.m. Like this early on, Amon's walking into Helena's room. Why would he do that, right? Well, maybe it's because the kids are his. Probably come to see the kids, right? That's my theory. But mother is there. 
and Allison, right? And he looks at her like, okay, father's really dead. We get this like sweltering score from Ramin. Cut to Otto. He reaches to Eric. Eric doesn't know where Aegon is. Otto's like, go find him. Eric's like, you know, he tells me to go do shit and then he just evades me. Otto's like, go find him. Take your brother. Take off your cloaks. Nobody can know who you are, not even the queen. So they, uh, we, cut, we cut to Rainey's and they lock Rainey's in her apartment. She looks out the window and everybody who isn't a high lord is being rounded up and escorted into the black cells. Castle's on full lockdown. Nobody in or out unless at the command of Allison or Otto. It's a race to find Aegon and we see Atlaris down there in the black cells just like getting hard. And uh, Allison entrusts Cole to go find Aegon and Aemon's like, like, I know where he is, mother. I'll go with him. So sparring partners go to find Aegon on the street of Silk. And uh, yeah, this part, like when Allison grabs Cole and she's like, you like, you must do this for me. This is Allison's manipulating Kristen. Like one of her strongest attributes is manipulation. Don't get it twisted. Not in a devious, I don't know, I don't want to say devious way, but like more in a listen, I really need your help type of way. I know you're in love with me kind of way. I need you to bring me, I need you to bring him back to me kind of way. Right, in me alone. It's like, yes, my queen. But we get the sixth shot of King's Landing with the sun just like, right, just now rising. I was in awe of the shot and a later shot pre, uh, later in the episode with the moon. Uh, it's before, it's like twilight. Um, that shot, I thought that, I thought that shot was like the shot of the episode before the sun comes up. Well, I'll, I'll mention it when it comes up. But yeah, the the lighting of the, of the shot is sick with the the morning haze just coming off Blackwater Bay and rising in the you know the the steam the haze like rising from from the streets of King's Landing. I thought that was pretty sick. But Cole and Christian they're on the street of Silk now. They make it to the brothel. Aemon tells Cole the story of how Aegon brought him here on his thirteenth name day and told him it was time to get it wet. And Cole, it's funny. Cole just looks away, like, oh, gross. Like, and then, okay, so he says every, this is where he says every woman is made of the image of the mother. So, yeah, a lot of complaints here about why he said that because, you know, just three episodes ago, he was calling Rhaenyra a whore, right? But you have to remember three episodes, three episodes ago was six years ago. And in that time, Allison has taken to the faith. Obviously, her life's choices are going to impart on Cole. Obviously, Cole is in love with her. That's what this is. Uh, you know, it's fraudulent, right? He doesn't mean it, but he's convinced himself because he's around Allison all day, every day. And she's, and, and he sees how she's turned to the faith for absolution or, or for guidance. And yeah, he just wants to, yeah, that's imparted on him. And yeah, this is like the worst type of like religious zealotry. But yeah, fun fact, the, the actress that plays the whore in this scene is Fabian Frankel's former drama teacher. So that's pretty cool. Uh, she notices Eamon one eye, and she was probably his first. How you've grown, she says. It's like, I mean, he, we get the this like famous thing with Eamon. He's he's done in the past two episodes. He's he's just like, mm. like he's he does that like three or four times in the, over two episodes. Like that's his thing. Mm. And. Uh, yeah, she says Aegon's not here. Hasn't been for quite some time. So he's moved on up to dun 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 from whores to children. 
And yeah, like in, in the books, Aegon, it's like said to he slept with like a fucking like twelve year old. So kind of yeah, he's a he's a he's a pedo, bro. But we get Sir Eric, Sir Arik, they're looking for Aegon as well. We cut to Otto in the throne room with the High Lords, and he's making them bend the knee to Aegon. Lord Merriweather is no oathbreaker. He ain't no bitch. He refuses to bend the knee along with Lady Fell. Lord Caswell, last man standing, he bends the knee. It says, long live the king. Laris is like looking at him like, okay, like I know what you're thinking. I know that, uh, you know that you, you were just standing for the, you were just standing the longest, which means you were thinking about it the longest, which means you were, you know, weighing back in your mind what you want, actually want to do. And then the fact that you say like long, live, you're the one that says, that says long live the king. Okay. There's something going on here. I'm going to follow you. Eric and Arik are still searching for Aegon and Fleabottom and they pass a brown cloaked girl who in the credits is named, she's named Jane in the credits, but I think it's Nettles. So Nettles was said in the book to wear brown cloaks. It looks exactly like Nettles in the animation of, uh, if you go on, if you go on YouTube, they do some really sick, uh, Game of Thrones animation, animated animations that are like five to like eight minutes long, I think about all of the history of Westeros. And you have to be careful not to go beyond a certain point as to not get spoiled. But yeah, they in one of those animations, Nettles is in there. Same hair, same skin tone, same look. So, uh, And it's the same point in, in, in history. So she works for Mistaria, and Damon actually meets her through Mistaria. Actually... Let me, let me walk that back. I don't think da- I don't remember Damon meeting her through Masaria, but I I think what happened was she was on the street of Silk when Damon was commander of the city watch and rounding up like rapists and all that, and she was like a thief, and Damon like slices her nose, and then she goes to work Masaria. Yeah, I think that's how it happens. I forget, but she follows Eric and Arik. Um, Regardless, we don't know if it's Nettles. I I think it's maybe Ryan Connell just winking at the at book readers, but yeah. So they Eric and Arik they follow. They're being followed by Jane slash Nettles and Kristen and Eamon. They they continue their search. Eric and Arik they enter the children's fighting pit. This is where, if you're a book reader, uh, Rorge and Biter they probably originate from the this like children's fighting pit of those kind of sweet but they or i think it's eric who says they file the the children's teeth down and they let their nails grow that's to make them more formidable and he says that Aegon spends many nights in this place all right i think it's assumed that Aegon spends many nights in this place and eric is like brother like do you see what Aegon truly is so there's a divide between Eric and, and Arik right now. Eric is the one that is like Team Rhaenyra. That doesn't... I, I wouldn't say he's Team Rhaenyra. I would say he's more against Aegon than being Team Rhaenyra. Whereas Arik is like, okay, my duty is to swore, uh, is to protect um, Aegon. And like, that's that's my duty. I, I'm sworn to him. I'm sworn to, you know, to obey whatever my duty with for Otto. And there's a divide there, which, uh, which is, again, it's interesting writing. Twin brothers on opposite sides, that's pretty sick. And Eric's like, check this out. And he turns his attention to 
a child in a corner, just laying down. Aegon's bastard, one of many. I won't say which one, but we'll probably see him later on in the story. In the book, Aegon, like, yeah, he's just, he's a piece of shit in the book. Like, he, he, he fucking sleeps with, like, children. Like, he engages in pedophilia. Now that, that's the implication that we're, like, led to believe with this scene here. Like, he could go to the whorehouse and have as much fun as he wants, but now, nah, like, he, he wants children. Like, and not, like, babies like that. He wants, like, to be around, like, the kids in the fighting pit. At least that's what that's what's like alleged in the book to some degree. So you know, I don't know how they play that, but a lot of cross cutting here, intention building at this point in the episode. Caswell mounts his horse to trying to flee the Red Keep, but he's stopped by the guards, probably by the order of Laris, since he was watching him in the throne room. Amon tells Cole basically he should be king. He's like, I study the histories, I study philosophy, I train with the sword, I ride the largest dragon. I'm the next in line for the throne. If they come looking for me, I intend to be found. I thought that was a dope line. And then we get Girl Nettles slash Jane tells Eric and Arik that she can take them to Aegon and tells them that her mistress only negotiates with the hand of the king. And Arik's like, that's impossible. That's treason, right? Like, that, that's impossible. What? And then we get Laris. He brings Caswell before Otto. Again, like a lot of cross-cutting. Tension building. Very cool stuff up to this point, I believe. I will tell you the moment in the, in the episode where it just kind of fell apart for me. Um, outside of the ending. But, yeah, Laris ca- brings Caswell before Otto, and he's like, you know, where are we going with such urgency? He's like, I have no... He's like, uh, like I have no love for the princess, right? He's placating Otto. Otto's like, where are we going then? And it's like, bro, like, say something. Dude just stands there. Like, it's a long trek up to Otto's chambers. You have to have that shit locked and loaded, bro. There's, That's, like, one of the first questions you have to prepare for. It's like preparing for an interview, right? You know he's going to ask that question. Like, say, like, you were going to the brothel. You needed to let off some steam. You're going to the pub. You're going to the corner store for a pack of smokes. Just say something, bro. But we see what happens to him. And Laris uses this to get in with Otto. And Otto's like, you spend a lot of time with the queen. Laris is like, there's no reason that can't benefit you. So here we have Laris about to go behind Allison's back. Every It's Allison versus everybody in the castle at this point. Not like it hasn't always been like this, but now that Viserys is, is gone, she's losing her grip to the patriarchy. She has nobody to, to back her. It's just Allison versus like the world at this point. And yeah, that's... That's got to be a pain in the ass and scary at the same time. So we cut to Allison. She places the crown on Viserys' body. And uh, this is also the crown of Jaehaerys, the conciliator, Jaehaerys I. We see later on in the episode, we see the crown of the Conqueror, Aegon's crown. So I'm pretty sure that either Westerling or Eric, they sneak out of King's Landing with this crown right here on Viserys' body. And they're on their way to Dragonstone to give Rhaenyra the crown. I think it's, uh, I don't know if I saw, I saw a little bit of the preview and I saw Eric handing the crown to Rhaenyra. So it's not Westerling, but I don't know if Westerling accompanies Eric to Dragonstone. I would hope so. But if Westerling gets, if Westerling stays at the Red Keep, 
that's going to be interesting. But I really want Westerling to to be on Team Black. But yeah, so we get that scene with Allison putting the crown on Viserys' dead body. She's really upset, holding back tears. Uh, she heads over to Rainey's apartment, and she's going to attempt to persuade Rainey's on her side. This is the part of the episode where fucking hate. I hate this part. It didn't make any sense to me. Rainey's is like, Viserys is dead. She knew, she probably knew based on how everybody was acting, right? Like, she's locked in her fucking chambers. Obviously, she knows Viserys is dead. But the way they, again, the way the scene is written, the way it's played is like, it's so fucking stupid. Oh my God. Allison asks for Rainey's support. And Rainey's like, wait, what? Rainey's like, you're bo- that's a bold move because yesterday you just saw me back Rhaenyra in front of the entire court. I thought this was I thought this was fucking terrible writing for Allison, specifically for Allison, like playing Rainey's against her husband and like her husband's wish to tether House Valerian to Rhaenyra and the boys. Like, yeah, that's that's not the way she should have tried to persuade Rainey's to join her side. And it gets even stupider, I think, because like she pulls out the you should have been queen line and Rainey's is like, get the fuck out of my face, man. Like she she she's like, I've heard this shit so many times my entire fucking life. I put this all behind me, but people still use this against me to try to further their designs and get me to like like I don't know, man, to get me to go to their side. Of what they want to happen. But Rainey's is like. Yo where's my dragon? And Allison's like. Look if we are overmatched. By Rhaenyra. She will attempt to strike us. And the war will ensue. Basically we need your dragon. Basically saying look. like We're going to use you and your dragon. To even the odds. But again. Stupid writing for me. For me. Stupid writing to me. Because they already have Vagar man. But I guess maybe one could say they don't have a seasoned rider if it comes to war and they would need a seasoned rider. So Allison's like, okay, like Rainey's has been riding dragons all her life. So I, I don't know. But yeah, she's like, if we have your if we have you in your dragon, then Rhaenyra would be she may be persuaded to negotiate. But again, it's like you have Vagar. Like, Vagar's worth three dragons, maybe four. Like, if you if I actually think back to the symbolism of Amon versus all the kids, it was 4v1. And that symbolism is basically, like, could be parallel to, even say, even even Vagar. Like, Vagar uh, can take on, like, four dragons at once. But Allison's like, yo, this is, okay, this is what was so stupid to me. So fucking stupid. Now that I think about it, like, Allison's like, yo, if it's Driftmark you want, you can have it. To me, this makes no fucking sense. Like, this is, Sarah has, what the fuck are you even writing right now? It makes no sense. Why would Allison, okay, okay, let me just gather my thoughts, gather my composure. I don't know why Allison gives Rainey's this offer when she knows, when she she knows the offer that Rhaenyra gave her. Because Rainey said last episode, she's like, Rhaenyra just offered both my granddaughters to be married to both her sons. 
That's the offer of a lifetime. So why would Allison come in with such a fucking subpar offer right here? Through Rhaenyra, through Rhaenyra's offer, Rhaenys gets Driftmark and the Iron Throne. So why is Allison stepping to her like, here, you can have Driftmark. This pitch is so out of pocket, not even worth entertaining. And she does, and Rainey's doesn't entertain it. But Sarah Hess had her say, you are wiser than I believed you to be. Rainey's literally watched her grow up and take care of Viserys and be a good wife and be a solid queen. So she would have seen how wise she was over the past 20 fucking years. So again, Sarah Hess, don't know what the fuck you were trying to accomplish with this scene. Specifically with Allison. Like, you made Allison just look so fucking dumb here. Because I was analyzing the scene, and I didn't know what to say. Except, and I and because I didn't know what to say, then I went deeper, and I was like, okay, this is just bad writing. Usually I can extrapolate, like, the subtext from these type of scenes, but I can't. And this is just, this doesn't make any sense. So this is the scene in particular. This is the one scene that I that I have a real problem with this episode with. Like people are, are pissed about the ending. Rainey's not flaming Team Green. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with this. Because this literally makes no fucking sense. Man. I don't know. But uh Kristen and Amon, they come across Eric and Eric in Otto in the streets. Again, it, and it just kind of gets worse from here for me. Uh, they meet with Masaria. Otto's like, you are the mysterious white worm. Like, totally forgetting she was at Dragonstone with Damon. But again, listen, I'm going to give my, my I'll say my boy, I'm going to give Otto a pass here because that was 20 years ago. And she was on that bridge with Damon for all of a minute before Otto called her a whore. And, you know, a lot of times passed. It's it's not a stretch to believe he forgot her face with all that he's been up to all these years. You know, so that's plausible. Like I don't have a problem with that. But it is interesting. <laughs> like again, Sarah Hess, like, why would you write yourself into a corner where somebody can even push back on you, like with this type of analysis? Again, don't understand. But we have now reached the point of the episode. I like to call Masaria's mumbled musings of the week. Okay. My condolences is on the passing of your king. I thought there was in flea bottom when no one is to be trusted. I best a cretent to be safe in case they come looking for him. He is safely tucked away. I want an end to this savage use of children in flea bottom. They're forced to fight and worse. Your gold cloaks take their bribes, giving them to look away. An obscenity, either tolerated or ignored by the crown. When your plots wrap and you install your grandson on their throne, remember it was me who put him there. I could have killed him as easily as wasp on fruit. There is no power, but what their people allow you to take. Thank you. Thank you. I will be here all week. And uh, Otto's like, I'll look into it. 
you have my word. He's like, I will remember. Like, I don't, he's not going to keep his fucking word. Okay, we know this. Again, this is just like basic writing at this point. But we get Eric and Arik. They uh, they go and they, they find Aegon and the Sept underneath the Circle of Candles. And I love how Aegon's like, I want my mother. So I, I, that actor is awesome. Like he's doing a great job with that character. And um, yeah, so they bring him out of the Sept. And they're, you know... Kristen and and Amon, they're waiting for them there. Aegon el- elbows Eric, and he runs. Cole steps to Eric, and we get a sword fight that ensues. Amon catches up to Aegon. We get some great line line reading here from the actors, uh, the Amon and Aegon actors. And Amon says, "You know, I, I'd hope I was hoping you disappear." Aegon's like, "Is our father truly dead?" And Amon's like, "Yes." And they're going to make you king. And then Aegon spits in his face. I thought that was a really good exchange. And uh, uh, Eric, he walks away. And this part was really dope. Like they're doing, they're doing, they're doing a good job with Aegon's character development here. Like he has no wish to rule. He's, he even says like he's he's what's the word I'm looking for? He he doesn't wish to rule. He's self-aware. Okay, so he's self-aware that he's not suited for it. So he knows. He's like, let me go. I will find a ship and sail away. And for a second, you see Aemon there. He's like thinking about it, right? I actually love everything about this because as soon as as soon as soon he realizes what's going on, he just tries to run. He's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be king. I have no taste for it. I'm not suited for it. I have no sense of duty. I am the, I'm going to be the worst king in the world. Just let me go. I, I, and everyone's like saying, no, Aegon, like we have to crown you. And like he's doing everything to stop it. I thought that was really dope, really dope character development. I, I don't think we've ever seen that from somebody who who's going to be crowned who doesn't want it. Like we have, we've had John Snow say, "I don't want it," but nothing like this. This is really emotional, at least for the character. But yeah, you you really get a sense, as I've said in the previous episodes. Like I've gone back and forth on on Aegon feeling bad for him to straight up hating him for being a predator, right? But now I feel. Now I kind of feel bad for him again because at least at least in this for these these next couple of minutes because his parents really did wrong by that dude right and by extension they did wrong by the realm like if Allison and Viserys showed love to this kid he would have turned out differently no doubt no doubt right but fantastic stuff by this actor because we see the flip after he raises his sword later in the episode right kids never seen love from his family not one person and here he here at the end of the episode. He has thousands of people showing love and cheering him on, and he truly believes in that affirmation that the people love him because he thinks, wow, this is okay. Okay, this is what love looks like. This is what love feels like. I've never had this before. So now that he has that love, feels that love, he's going to do everything he can to keep that fucking crown on his head so he can be loved. And I think that's, I think they did a really good job with setting up his character like that. So that's, that's good writing, but that goes, that writing goes all the way back to you know a few episodes ago where sarah house has wasn't a part of writing that episode those episodes i should say but you have to think man if amon found Aegon alone in the alley barely conscious just drunk like that amon might have just gutted him right then and there and said it was either he was either murdered or and and he probably passed it off as like oh you know him mother he couldn't survive the streets at night look at him 
He's a bumbling fucking idiot. And then like, oh, I'm the next in line, right? Like he probably would have gutted him, man. Or, you know, if Amon had a way to like ship Aegon off on a on a ship, like to ET or a Shy, like he would have. But Cole comes in and now they have to take him back to Allison. So Cole really fucks that up. But we cut to Allison and entering Otto's chambers and Otto's writing the letter. It looked like he was rolling up the fattest blunt in Westeros history. Uh, this letter's for Storm's End. I would assume mentioned that up top. And Otto says, well played. And this scene is basically, he's basically trying to manipulate Allison one last time here. But she's like, I've been, on, I've been your pawn for all these years. You moved me around on the board. She's reluctant. Uh, he's like, yeah, like, if I if I didn't do that, you wouldn't be queen. Like, wh- what would you be doing right now? She's like, listen, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. And I thought I thought that was a great line. Because we see at the end of the episode with Rainey, it's like, yeah, some peasants died in the process, but that's the dragon being a dragon, right? She had the opportunity to murder her family, and she didn't. So that isn't weakness. And it's the same here for Allison. Like, like she's reluctant to, to murder her former best friend, Rhaenyra, and the daughter of... Dude, I just sounded like fucking... New York City accent. The, the daughter. The daughter. Oh, fuck. The daughter. The daughter. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's reluctant to to murder Rhaenyra, the daughter of her husband, and she's reluctant to, to murder Damon, the brother of her husband, and the grandkids of her husband. Like, it's that's not a weakness. She says, I have Aegon. We will, you know, resume with, with my plans, what I plan to do. And I'm going to send Rhaenyra terms she will accept. Otto's like, if you do this, she will call her banners and war will start. And she will come back with the dragons in an army. And Allison's, again, Allison's, it's not bad writing here. I don't think, I think it's, I think it's Allison still being delusional. Where she's like, okay, we must not let them return then. Viserys would have offered her this mercy. So I think this is more delusion from Allison than bad writing. It's not like the writing with the rainy scene. Uh, she's like, Aegon will be crowned uh, at dawn. The whole of King's Landing must witness his ascent, witness him assuming authority. He will take Aegon, the Conqueror's crown, and take the sword Blackfire. And the people will remember the ancient strength of host Tar- Targaryen. And all Otto has to say to that, that's 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 like that's checkmate right there. And all Allison has to say, Allison, all Otto has to say is, you look so much like your mother in certain lights. Clearly trying to disarm her one last time, but she's not having it, right? She just called checkmate and she just walks out. And now uh, we get Footgate, quid pro toe, uh, you know, taking stockings off for information. And this was the trade Lyris alluded to when he said he wanted to be rewarded in time. Lyris Bigfoot. But all I can think about is that hot sand snake telling Braun, you want a good woman, but you need bad pussy. Remember that? Season five. That was actually the, the up until Game of Thrones season eight, that was the lowest rated episode. I think that's like a, that episode has like a, I think that's rated like a five. It's in the fives on IMDb. Maybe, maybe, maybe it might be like in the six or low sevens, but I'm pretty sure it's like a five. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's what that episode's called. I think. I'm pretty sure it's, it's that episode. Yeah. You want a good woman, but you need bad pussy. That shit was funny. Bro, I was like, oh shit. Maybe I should stay. But yeah, we here we have, you know, 
another man in Laris using Alicent for his pleasures. Knowledge is power, and yet Laris uses that power over her to get what he wants. Apparently, he got a raging foot fetish. And she puts her feet up on the couch and just disassociates again, like she did with Viserys when she was on her back. And she endures because she believes it's her duty. And because she still needs information from Laris now more than ever. And um, she doesn't realize that he's playing her too. Because he's talking, he's, he's going behind her back with Otto. And uh, he's talking about, you know, it proves advantageous to feed the weaver. I think he's the weaver here, but he's basically saying, you know, I think he's, I think, because the shot lingers on him when he says weaver. Like, he's he's the one weaving things behind the scenes. But he, I think he's implying that Otto is the weaver, but I think the subtext here is that he's also the weaver. But Laris tells her one of the spiders uh, is Talia's, and, and there are more of them working for Otto. And if you want to gain the advantage, we need to basically kill Masaria and kill the entire operation. He's like, when the queen dies, the bees fly without purpose. Pardon the uh, the metaphor, your grace, right? But uh, if you wish it to be done, he says, uh, it will be done. She puts her feet up on the sofa and he proceeds to crank. And uh, I never want to see that again. Again, this is Sarah Hess. I don't know what the fuck she, she, like, this isn't in the books. So, maybe this is, I don't know. Sarah Hess, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, yeah. But we get uh, Sir Eric. Uh, the score swells. And he says, with me, princess. He comes in. I don't know. He's, he's fucking yelling. He's yelling as he enters the room. Get out of the way. Like, why would you make a scene like that? That late at night. But he's come to help Rainey's escape. With me, princess, he says. I cannot let this treachery stand. So they're going to escape before dawn. He escorts her under the Red Keep past Balerion, not before we see, we see Lord Caswell hanging in sort of that like square court part of the Red Keep. And uh, yeah, uh, Eric escorts Rhaenys by the passage that Damon took, or the secret passage way out of the castle that Damon took uh, Rhaenyra down like 15, 20 years ago. I said back in episode three or four, whenever that happened, that this passageway, this secret passage, will come back into fold in a major way. It's not this one. It's going to come back in another way. So, yeah, it still will. But, okay, this is one of my favorite shots of the episode. Yeah, this is the one where, like, it's 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 early in the morning. Like, it's before dawn. The moon is still up. I love how they, like, lit the city here with the moonlight. And then it, you know, it fades over to Misari's like core quarters, and that's on fire. So yeah, the lighting here was pretty sick. A hooded figure walks past Misari's burning core quarters. I don't know who this is. Uh, I don't think it's Amon's doing Lyris's dirty work, but yeah, I don't, I don't know who it is. But it's morning now, and sun's up, and Rainy says she won't leave without Maylies. Uh, this tracking shot was pretty sick. They get swept up in the crowd, being escorted into the dragon pit to witness Aegon's coronation. She gets separated, Rainey's gets separated from Eric, who's, uh, you know, probably now off to Dragonstone because we don't see him come back into the episode. But yeah, I think I think he he's maybe the one. It makes sense because he he's probably the one who snuck back into the castle while all the, the entire fucking realm 
<laughs> entire King's Landing is in the Dragon Pit witnessing the coronation. He's the one that sneaks back in the Dragon Pit uh, to grab the crown and head to Dragonstone to present it to Rhaenyra and back her and back Team Black. And maybe, maybe just maybe, uh, Westerling, he comes upon Westerling, they have a chat, and he tells Westerling, look, this is what I'm doing. You can either kill me or, or come with me. So, yeah, we could get Westerling ne- next episode at Dragonstone, which I'm hoping. But Rainey's uh, now separated from Eric. Amongst the crowd, she sees the dragon pit and smiles because she wants to grab Maywee's before she leaves. We see Aegon riding with Mummy in the wheelhouse. Uh, he's decked out in Targaryen black, which I think was, it was a really dope outfit. He's like, my father never loved me. And Allison says, that's not true. That's not true. And the way she looks, the way Olivia Cook like says it looks down in one way because she knows it's true. That's just great acting from Olivia Cook. Like this whole episode, even though the writing for Allison at some points is questionable, other points it's really strong. Uh, she delivered a great performance either way. But he's like, oh yeah, like he loved me. Then why didn't he name me his heir? He only had 20 fucking years. He was steadfast in backing Rhaenyra's claim. And, you know, the way he said this reminded me of Harry Lord's Viserys the third vibes, like from season one of Thrones, like his tonality and his smile and like his, his like laugh reminded me so much of Harry Lloyd as Viserys in season one of Game of Thrones. And Allison opens the box. It's a uh, cat's paw dagger. He's like, don't play with me. Don't you play with me, woman. Don't you play on me. Play with me. <laughs> play on me. Don't you play with me. Uh, he picks up the dagger. He's looking at it. Allison's telling him, he needs to object against Otto's counsel to kill Rhaenyra. She's like, you must not rule with cruelty and callous for all her faults. She is your sister. She's, you know, she's your father's daughter. And Aegon's so focused and honed in on that dagger that he probably doesn't even see, or he probably doesn't even hear what she's saying. And he goes, do you love me? She said, she never says yes. Okay. She just says, you imbecile. Like she could have said yes. Right, she could have said clearly. Obviously, she could have said yes. So up to this point, this is, this is actually very important because Aegon's looking for affirmation of love. He doesn't get it here. So up to the point, Aegon still has never heard, saw, or felt love from Allison or Viserys or Otto or his entire fucking family so far, and as we've seen. So that's why he says that there, because of what happens next. So we get this awesome shot coming over the top of the dragon pit, over the steps of the commoners walking up to the dragon pit. Um, all of King's Landing is there being piled in. Uh, it was a beautiful shot. The way it was, the the way inside the dragon pit was lit was really something. I thought it was really, really sick. But uh, in the symmetry of the shots, just all of that was, was so sick. Uh, Otto tells the people that Viserys the Peaceful is dead. He whispered his final wish um, that his firstborn son should succeed him and people are like wait what and they take a moment and they clap because <laughs> they have to clap and the city watch makes way for Aegon's walk trumpets blow Aegon walks out and you can see a tear a single tear that streamed down his cheek passes what's that movie isn't it a and in oh, what the fuck is that movie man oh Dude, is that an SNL skit? 
It's Adrian Brody. No, no, it's uh, it's uh, fuck, it's uh, Midnight in Paris, where he plays uh, Dali, and he's like, a single tear, and in your tear is another tear, or and it's a, he's like, it's a picture of your face, and a single tear streaming down your face, and in that tear, another face, the Christ face. Right? That's what that is. Okay. That just, that image came to me when I said that. That single. So yeah, there, there's a single tear coming down, streaming down Aegon's face um, as he's walking out. It's just, it's like past his lips, right? So that's visual storytelling, us, storytelling letting us know that at this point, he still does not want this. But look. I have to say, bro, like, dude, good. The man looks good in black, decked out in all black. Like, he looks, even though he's team green, right? Targaryens wear, still, still wear black. Um, and he's going to take the, uh, the dragon sigil. It's going to be yellow for, uh, his, his dragon sunfire. He's going to claim or, or take the yellow dragon sigil for his banners. Uh, and I think Rhaenyra is going to have the the red the red dragon, but this is exactly what I expected a Targaryen king to look like. Viserys was boring, right? Like he did not have a look of a king. Rest in peace, but he did not look the part. And Aegon II does. He looks exactly how I would imagine a Targaryen king to look like. It's a shame he's a piece of shit. But all this pomp and circumstance looks great on camera. Um. Rainies, she slips down a side passageway that you know presumably presumably leads down to the pit again. Logistics here, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, there are obviously going to be fucking alternative ways to go down into pit into the pit, right? That's not a big problem. Um, the maester here, it's Maester Eustace. Uh, he crown he gives the crown to Sir Kristen, and that crown is sick. The design is is sort of similar in a way to the books, but not really. It doesn't have like the the like swoops on on the book one doesn't have like the swoops or the curvature on the top, and it has like more than one. It has rubies like all around it. And there's only one ruby on here. Uh, I still think it looks sick. I still like the book one better. I don't I don't know why these I don't know why these prop makers. And the showrunners just make these decisions to take these props and, and just make them different from what they look like in the artwork for the book. Like, why do fucking people do that? It's just so simple. Like, just keep it 100% authentic. Again, like, I don't have a problem with it. I just have a problem with why these showrunners think they can just, like, like it's, it's, it's a part of, like, the canon. It's a part of the lore. So why would you change it? It's something so simple that you don't have to change for the story. Anyways, um... Yeah, Eamon, he looks at him like, I can't believe this shit. Like, he gets it, and Helena he Helena can't even look at him when he's wearing it. Like, she, she's looking at him before he's crowned, and then when he's crowned, Helena can't even look at him. So, yeah, Cole crowns Aegon, and that earns Cole the nickname the Kingmaker. He's known as the Kingmaker in the book, uh, and Cole declares him Aegon the King. And the people cheer. And this is the first time we see Aegon witness or feel love. 
He raises Blackfire, feeling himself, right? He's feeling himself a little too much. Blackfire looks dope, right? We saw it in episode one with Patty holding it, or, or Patty Viserys holding it while he's sitting on the throne and chastising Damon. Uh, Aegon's arms wide open, embracing the moment, embracing it a little too much. And Alice, I wouldn't say too much, but uh, Allison's like, oh, fuck. Like, we're not going to be able to control him now. And the funny thing is, Otto wants him to be on the throne so that he can control him, so that he can be his puppet. But he will soon learn that you're not going to be able to control Aegon. But... Yeah, when the crowd cheered for Aegon, you can see and feel an instant change in him. And we said it a few episodes ago on the pod. Look, the theme of of this world of Song of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood is that power corrupts. So that's why we get that instant change in him. And that change is not necessarily for the better. And uh, you know, Tyrion famously said in the books... Look, I think he was describing he was describing Joffrey. He says, it's hard to put a leash on a dog once you've put a crown on his head. And this is going to be the case with Aegon. And Aegon, it's funny because Aegon's about to become what, what Otto said would happen to Damon. Remember in episode one, where Otto is they're at the they're at the small council and they're debating on like who is to succeed. Viserys after uh uh Emma's death. I think Emma and Emma and Balon. I always forget Balon died too. Because yeah, that's Sean Brooks was, was so good there with her when she came in and played Viserys' wife, Emma. But yeah, we forget that uh baby Balon died as well. So that's why they had that. Yeah, I, I forget that. I haven't seen episode one since, but that's why um they were they were holding that uh succession sort of meeting right after Emma's death. But he says, God has yet to make a man who lacks the courage for absolute power, your grace. But he's talking about Damon there. And it's so funny because that's about that's what's about to happen with Aegon. That's good writing. That's that's full circle writing right there. And then we get a moment, you know, everybody's talking about for good or worse. Uh, here we are. Let's talk about it. So first off, uh, visually breathtaking. Uh, we're talking about Rainy's coming up from the floor with uh with Maylies. Uh visually breathtaking, the dust from the sand, the green and, and brown tinges of the color grading, the oranges from the torches in the background, the light behind Rainy's back, uh the shadows, just amazing job from from the VFX team. Like my my hat's off to the VFX team. This looks better than almost everything in Thrones ever. So really great job budget really went here and it's it's a lot of the budget is going to go to next episode but all the commoners they're yelling screaming running around it's like ground zero right it feels like ground zero uh we get rainies in full armor again logistics i get it she you know she just had the armor down there waiting for her look i i hear you we hear for you like we hear for you like i i get i get it guys it's it's small. It ain't anything really worth bitching about. I thought it was sick, and it was a statement. And and look at this point, like any other dragon could race off to catch up with Maylies at any point. So it's like best come strapped, right? You know, strap up. This is like this is a statement for like what's to come. It's like yo, if you want war, this is what you're gonna get. But Otto's like, open the doors, and 
Rennie's, she looks back like, oh, fuck. Like, if they walk me in here, I have no choice but to negotiate with these fucks because I'm trapped and I'm not going to kill my fucking kin. So, Allison tells Cole to get Helena and she goes to stand in front of Aegon and Otto, Otto and, um, Amon, they look on along with Helena, who's like, she's in like, she's like in awe of Rainey's almost. And I think Maylee's is the best looking dragon, in my opinion. Her design is sick. And uh, Maylee screams, This is all just a warning. It's a power move. Remember when Allison was like, Ring the bell when you've made your decision? We heard the bell ring right before um, Aegon was, was announced king. So, I think what happened, I, I, again, I don't have the episode in front of me, guys, but I think what would happen was he, he gets to the dais, the maester gives the crown to Cole, Cole crowns Aegon, Aegon stands up, turns, I think the bell rings right there, it could, it could have ringed before, and then he says, um, Aegon the king. But the bell rang in this in this scene. And if you remember back to that scene that I really didn't like, the ending of that scene was when Allison was like, ring the bell when you, you've made your decision. And boom, we get the bell ring and then Rainies comes up with Maylis through the force. So that's that's good, that's good storytelling right there. But uh yeah, she's gonna fly back to Dragonstone and tell Rhaenyra what they did there she's going to tell Rhaenyra about the the green coup and look no again no way she's accepting Allison's proposal it was too fucking weak we've gone over this but okay let's talk about like the main complaint here like okay class is now in session okay the main the main complaint is this this was all uh, it's like a two-parter kind of but it's within the same within it could be within the same sense so it's all for spectacle that's the main complaint she should have killed them right then and there that's the complaint right there one sentence it was all for spectacle and she should have killed them then and there okay um i'm exhausted just thinking about how i have to address this because I've, I've done it like all fucking week but let me preface this by saying if you thought this was a spectacle look again tom wom scams I hear you, like, like, like ATN. We hear for you, okay. I get it. The, okay, but you saying like, or you? I'm not gonna say you. I'm saying people saying that not killing the Greens and just using the scene to show how powerful Rainey's is was all like all for spectacle. I don't necessarily agree with that, and I'm gonna explain why in just a moment, but. Like the ones, the people who are saying this shit are are not book readers, man. I can rebut this 10, 20 different ways, as I have all week long. Like starting with the obvious, like I can I can I can attack this one single emotional surface level complaint with like ten angles of of logic. Now I heard what Sarah has said about the scene, and I don't think a writer should be that bombastic in describing what they should actually do with a pivotal moment like this. Oh, we, oh, again, like I, I mentioned up top in the episode, like, oh, we had this, I had this awesome idea. I was just sitting in the writer's room one day. I said, hey, guys, think about this. What if, right, that's not good writing. That's just somebody who's up their own ass. She needs to button that shit up for season two. 
because she just renegotiated her, she just re-signed a contract with HBO, so she's going to be on season two. Like, she just said something today about how she doesn't understand why people are, are, oh, let me just backtrack. I've been saying she the entire time. It's they. I'm sorry, Sarah has. You're a shit writer, but I will respect your pronouns. They just did something today in a Hollywood Reporter episode. She's, uh, they said something uh, where they don't understand why people are so obsessed with Damon calling him Daddy Damon, Internet Damon. Well, my dear, maybe it's because you like woman and you're not attracted to the ambiguity, the hot mess, the nuance, the chaotic mess that a man can be. Like that, that is attractive to some woman out there. So, like, not only is are they getting shit for that comment, but she, they are getting ripped for their for for them just just saying, yeah, I thought it would be cool for Rainies to come through the floor on Maylies. So that leads me to believe that the whole beast beneath the boards isn't Maylies. Now it's time to listen to King Vizzy when I hit you with some fact-based knowledge on how this world of A Song of Ice and Fire actually works. So again, I give it to you guys. Spectacle, based on her comments, sure. But... The main complaint of Rainey's, why didn't she just roast Team Green right there? I'm going to hit you with some knowledge right now. So rebuttal number one to that, to she to she killed all those civilians, but she didn't kill the Greens. Okay, darling, let me spare you the stress of searching for a moral high ground on either side of this war. There is none, okay? They're, they're in the great game now. And as Cersei said, when you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. And civilian casualties are what come with that okay i've been beating this drum all week straight from the page when Tyrion says when the high wards play their games the the small folk folk are the ones who suffer it's not different from our own world think of every war in human history the ones who suffer the most are the civilians caught in the crossfire that's unfortunately how it goes when the people in power make their decisions right so for people Bitching about Rainey's killing a bunch of civilians but not killing the Greens, that's rebuttal number one. Civilian casualties are a thing in this world, in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire, and in ours. That's just how shit works. Okay, that's my rebuttal to that. Rebuttal number two is Rainey's didn't kill anybody. She didn't physically kill anybody, okay? Dragons be dragons, bro. Maylie's whipped around. She's dragoning out. That's what happens. Rebuttal number three to why she didn't kill the Greens right there. Rip straight from the page. None is as accursed as the Kinslayer. What that means is there's nothing worse than being known as a king, uh, a Kinslayer or a Kingslayer. Like, think of Jamie, how people treated him his entire life and called him a Kingslayer. He carried that shit wherever he went. But people never knew the whole story, right? We learned that story when he was in the tub with Brienne. And that whole monologue, that was one of the greatest monologues in TV history. And we know, we learned that it really bothered him. It's the same thing if you kill your family. There's nothing worse in, this, in the world than killing your family. Think about our world. Think about husbands who kill their wives and kill their children. Right? I'm not wrong. Rebuttal number four. As to why she should have burned them and ended the war right there. 
or end of the war before it started. Pretty easy one. End of story, right? I think you all get that. Rebuttal number five. The Greens are going to use this to advantage. They're to use this to their advantage in the story. They're going to they'll use the they'll use this to weaken Rhaenyra's position. Okay, so they're going to say that, or they could say that Rhaenyra ordered Rhaenys to do this to essentially like blow up Aegon's coronation. They're going to use this to get the people behind Team Green, and if she doesn't do that, the small folk will back Team Green anyways. And this is a real reason for them to rid, to, to hate dragons, to rid Westeros of dragons once and for all. Cough, cough, what happens later on in the story as it unfolds. Again, this is what, this is why being a book reader like matters in, in some respects. is like you know where it goes. So you don't question some of the decisions that casuals might question. Rebuttal number six. Aegon is now crowned king. And what's the first thing that happens? He can't protect the people he now governs. Perception and optics here. The people will already say his reign is cursed. That, that story could spread throughout the realm. That the high towers are judged by the gods. And Aegon is a cursed king. They're going to use this against, against the dragons. Oh, dragons killed the small folk. Fuck the dragons. What are we going to do? I'll leave that up for you to like you and your imagination to think about. Rebuttal number seven. Um, Rhaenys is on her way to Dragonstone to warn Rhaenyra about the green coup. Okay, she didn't take Allison up on her offer, nor did she kill her. In fact, her, her, her offer was so weak compared to Rhaenyra's, right? So this was just sending a message, don't fuck with me. Like, they locked her up in a room for an entire day. What do you think they're going to do to her once Aegon becomes king? They're going to let her, let her leave the fucking city. But they, they walked her up for an entire day. And what happened? This was the dragon breaking out. So I think that that symbolism there is pretty cool. But in doing so, and in fling, look, she looks like the villain now. Not Otto, not the Green Council for staging the coup. Rainey's looks like the villain. The dragons look like the villain. The headlines the next day in the Westerosi Post aren't Otto Hightower seizes control of the throne and installs Aegon against uh, Viserys' wishes, right? It's, the headline reads, Princess Rhaenys, the slayer of small folk. Optics and perception. The Greens are going to use this to their advantage, and you'll see how. Uh, rebuttal number eight. Rhaenys is pragmatic. She doesn't let her emotions guide her judgment. And Rainey's is no Magor the Cruel. Early in the episode, Allison says murder isn't weakness. And yeah, Rainey's burst through the floor. She, like, Maywee's stomped around, killed some people, right? But that goes back to rebuttal number one. That's bound to happen, happen regardless, right? Rainey's, she ain't thinking about the civilians, bro. She's thinking about her dragon. She's thinking about, she needs to get the fuck out of this place and warn the family. I need to get far away from here or they're going to lock me up and kill me. Like, when you feel threatened like that, again, just put yourself in the character's shoes, bro. When you feel threatened like that, no amount of civilians in your way fucking matters. You'll do whatever it takes to get the fuck out. Pressure's on, and are you going to fold? Or are you going to say, fuck it? Are you going to fight back and, and do something about it? Consequences be damned. I'll deal with that, I'll deal with that later. I just want to see another day. I just want to hold my grandchildren again. 
That's what Rainey's is thinking about right here. Rebuttal number nine. And I'll leave it on this. Would you kill your family? If I put, if, if I aligned your cousins, your aunties, your uncles, your stepbros, your stepsis in front of you, and I gave you a loaded gun, and I told you to kill them, would you? No, you wouldn't. Light drop. So all in all, look, I thought this, I thought this episode was, was all right. Um, I went into the breakdown leaning into, holy shit, like this is a really great episode. But yeah, like on a rewatch, man, like it starts, it starts off really strong. I did not expect that first 15, 20 minutes to be that strong. So I was like, fuck, okay, this is, this is dope. Like then I think it meanders in the middle and the ending. I actually don't really have a problem with it. And my gripe is really the writing for Allison during her scene with Rainey's and then even, even the auto and Allison exchanges later on. But, and of course, uh, Missaria, I'm like, what the fuck? And then, yeah, if it would be nice if, if Otto remembered Masaria, like, oh, you were Damon's whore. And yeah, the Lara's foot fetish scene. Why? Yeah. So I, I, again, more than one reason for me to like, not like this episode, I guess maybe I just, maybe I don't like this episode, but yeah, I, I hit the middle of the episode and I just didn't really have anything to say. Like just looking back, like what I was saying, like I was blowing through scenes and I wasn't really analyzing the way I normally analyze. And that's because there's really no subtext. There's nothing to mind there. There's nothing really going on behind the scenes. And that's just a sign of weak writing. So yeah, not the strongest episode. And some of the dialogue with Allison was like, wait, what, what the fuck are we doing here with Allison? So good, not great. And eh, it's fine. Listen, we're not in season eight territory by any means. And we're not even close to unbowed, unbent, unbroken territory from season five. It's going to be hard to follow up the emotional, you know, reverence of, of episode eight with Viserys. But yeah. Oh, you know what I just thought about? Okay. So I should I should have mentioned this up top during the Green Council. But yeah, like I should have... I thought they should have made like episode eight, like a two hour movie, right? All of this happens within the span of like 24, 48 hours. 90% of this episode happens the day after uh, episode eight. So it could have been one long, one long, like two hour episode, one, two, two hour long epic. But dude, you know what? Son of a bitch. Another thing I just thought about. All right. Oh my god. Yeah. I. I okay. It's official. I don't like this episode. Look. Uh. Just, what I just thought about here. Did Rainier and Damon sail back that that night? Is that what she told Allison after the dinner? Like the night prior. Like, she sent the kids to bed. Like the kids, they had their spat. Right. Viserys goes back to bed. The kids have their spat. Rainier sends the kids to bed. Allison approaches her. And they have a talk, and she said, like, let me see the kids off to Dragonstone. I'll come back on Dragonback. But why would why would Rhaenyra and Damon, after such a long day, depart at night by ship? I mean, they could have slept on the ship with the kids and Damon, right? But you would think they would leave in the morning. But if they're still in the castle... They're locked up like Rainies. Yeah, man, I don't know. 
somebody go back and tell me if Rhaenyra tells Allison she's leaving with the with the children that same night. Because if she didn't, that's actually a pretty fucking huge plot hole. And if she did, it doesn't make any sense. Because Allison wakes up in the middle of the night by Talia, who's informed by the kid who checks on Viserys presumably every night that uh and that auto uh, that auto that Viserys is dead. So like where is Rhaenyra and Damon? They just sailed away in the middle of the night and didn't wait until morning? That doesn't make any sense. Usually we set sail at first light, right? That's always a thing. So why would Rhaenyra and Damon, again, after such a long fucking day, an emotional day, why would they leave right after the dinner, like at eight, nine o'clock, and sail back to Dragonstone at night? That doesn't make any sense. They, they didn't even address it. Again, because this episode eight and episode nine are back to back. They're basically they could, it could be one movie. The entire day, Viserys, Viserys's last day, he dies that night. We pick up episode nine a few hours later in the early morning. But Rhaenyra and Damon and the children aren't there, so they must have sailed off after dinner. That doesn't make any sense. But when she's talking to Allison, she 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 didn't she didn't like say that they're leaving right now. I don't know, man. Sarah House, you are now on my shit list. How did Ryan Connell not notice this? So me just realizing it should have been one long-ass two-hour episode led me to realize the the logistical fuckery of Rhaenyra not being in the Red Keep just hours after the dinner. Yeah, that's a problem. That's D&D-level shit. Holy fuck, this episode brought me on a roller coaster. Wow, okay. I, yeah, I need to look into this. Yeah, that's that's unacceptable. But the the green cool was still it was still dope. Like the race for Aegon was cool up to a point. That point was probably Mastaria. And I've seen some stills from next week and it looks like a madness. Like something book readers have been waiting for for years. And it looks pretty insane. Um I actually enjoy not watching the next episode on the next episode. I encourage all you guys uh to not watch them during season two. Going in blind is part of the experience. But I saw stills. We're probably going to get Vermithor next episode. We'll make his debut in episode 10. He was written by King Jaehaerys I. And uh, Damon, I got this question in the DMs from somebody who said, you know, is Damon claiming this dragon? What, hap- what happens to Graxes? No, Damon is not going to claim Vermithor. Uh, he doesn't claim Vermithor in the books. Somebody else, you know, sh- should come. Somebody else is going to come in to the picture next season, I would imagine, and ride Vermithor. Some people say it's cannibal. Um, cannibal's too wild of a dragon to be tamed by a Damon lullaby, as we saw in the. Well, I didn't watch it on the next episode, but I saw a clip of Damon like singing or humming, and you don't hum, and calm down a wild dragon doesn't doesn't work like that, unless it's written by Sarah Hess. But uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I think next week will be an emotional one as well. And yeah. 
I will be back next week for the finale recap. If you made it this far, my lawyer told me to tell you to drop a five-star rating on Spotify, drop a five-star rating and review on Apple. Otherwise, we are coming for you. So you are legally obligated to rate and review five stars. I like to hit 200 five-star reviews on Spotify as soon as possible. As always, follow me on Instagram at Cinema. Yes, chef. Heard chef. Thank you, chef. Later. Later.